Thank you for joining us this evening. We have a great segment for you tonight. We have the great pleasure of having Conrad Lavasseur. Did they, sir, did I get that? I think I did that wrong. Lavasseur. <laughs> He's the director of communications and well, for Ironstone Vineyards. It's been for what, 17 years, you were saying? Uh, yes. Very it's hard cool. to believe, yes. Yeah. Um, now, this is a, it's a great story. And, you know, everybody thinks they may know the Ironstone story, the Ironstone, right. but I think it's a lot more involved and in some ways a lot more interesting than people think. Yeah. Tell us the, the little background of Ironstone to start stuff off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think when people come to Ironstone for the first time, yeah. they've, they've heard about it, sure. they've seen maybe pictures, they've gone online and seen it, but they get taken back when they actually come onto the property. There's, yeah. It's much larger than they imagined. And so in people's minds, it's like, who is this character, John Couts, you know, behind all this, you know, how do you get to get a piece of property like this? Right. And so they have all kinds of images of what that is. So yeah. John is actually coming from this Germanic farming background. His ancestors were German farmers, asked along with other German farmers back in the 1700s to migrate into Russia and farm there. Uh, history, politics. So they migrated time. to Russia to farm. Well, it was in that day, I mean, right. it was like, they, days of like Catherine the Great and sure. everything would bring in yeah. all these artisans from all over Europe. Anyways, uh, history, time, politics, shifts and changes. So John's grandfather winds up leaving Russia, going to Canada, ultimately winds up farming in Nebraska. John's dad leaves Nebraska in the 1920s, comes to California and wants to get a little ranch down in the valley. Right. So ultimately they wind up down in Lodi. So John says he grew up walking behind a horse-drawn cultivator that they lived off the land, had a big vegetable garden, horses, dairy, mm -hmm. pigs, goats, chickens. John graduated from Lodi High School, 1948, and said, all I want to be is a farmer. He started off with 12 acres, uh, now has over 8,000 acres. Wow, yeah. wow. So Ironstone's actually a very small piece of what the Couts family does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the most visible piece. It's the most visible piece. It's right. the showcase right. of what it is, yeah. yeah. His first successful crop was canning tomatoes. And at one point, he's got quite a few hundred acres of canning tomatoes. He's in partnership with the cannery. In the 1970s, everybody wants to get in on the canning tomato act. I think John begins to think it might be a good time to get out of canning tomatoes. Right. So right. he began to phase himself out. Sure enough, a couple years later, prices start going down. John's off and running with other things. So he's always had his hands on a half dozen things at one time, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. So that, so now, the eight thousand, now is it most of it in grapes and stuff now? Or is there how many different crops do no, they still do? Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. So, uh, and I should kind of back it up a little bit because in, in the 1960s, he was named top young farmer in the United States by the Junior Chamber of Commerce. Wow. So already he was kind of, you know, pushing forward. And when people yeah. say, where did he go? Where did he study? And then John says he went to the school of hard knocks. So when other people were, <laughs> guys were partying, he was, he was like getting involved yeah. in all these different ag groups, yeah. really paying attention, you know, and just moving and changing and watching, you know, the, the rhythm of things change and was like yeah. kind of catch that wave or, if it's not working, shift over to something else. But so he worked with a number of different, you know, you know, row crops. So I mean, before he started planting, uh, you know, wine grapes, he probably worked with over forty-five different vegetable and fruit trees. Wow. So the, I mean, the point is, out of all that, he was very uh, familiar 
and intimate with the with the valley. Those hot Mediterranean days, key right. balancing factor, right. those cool delta breezes coming in at night. Yeah. So perfect microclimate for these kind of dry table grape wines. And then also, you know, he and then Gail had, you know, traveled all over, visited the major wine grape growing regions in, you know, in, in the world. And John was the first one to John was the first one to plant Chardonnay grapes down in Lodi at a time when people are telling him you're crazy, this is high risk, I wouldn't do it. Uh, John's always kind of considered himself a gambler at heart. Right. I mean, he says I'm an old Monopoly player. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you know the game, yep. he was this avid Monopoly player as a kid, pretty much beat anybody who played against him. So from the get-go, very competitive, very creative, very entrepreneurial. He's going to be 91 next well now this month and uh, yeah. he's still driven i mean sure. in terms of creatively driven you yeah. know always seeing thinking what's next what could be done and i think of course the balance to that was his wife gail and yeah. gail is kind of the quieter but strong right ballast to john and besides raising the kids and then she got very involved all the kids were involved in you know 4-h ag programs one of the things John really was passionate about as a kid was Boy Scouts and ultimately wound up becoming the top, you know, uh, award-winning Eagle Scout. But Gail, for some reason, had the kids really more channeled into the ag, ag part of, you know, wh where they were at. But Championship Horsewoman has been on major bo ag, ag boards within the state, was the first woman to be uh, at the head of the board for the California, uh, you know, state fair and expositions. Very so nice. quite, yeah, quite a lady. Now, don't you think, um, you know, the focus on the ag and the FFA stuff, yeah. I think it's, I think it's an, in my estimation, it's almost an underappreciated thing because I know there's several businesses here locally that if they see FFA or something on a resume, they will almost invariably hire those kids because they figured at least they had spent time keeping something other than themselves alive. Right, you know, no, exactly. Was, you yeah. know, there's the skills of you right. actually had to in your formative years care for something other than yourself yeah and um you know that sounds maybe sound trivial but i think it's one of those fundamental things that you know undergirths a lot of yeah a lot of life i mean right. you know if they get spending the time in the ffa that you know that's why i think it's a neat it's a neat focus you know or a valuable focus for what some of the you know what gail's done is it's, you know it's those are life those are fundamental life skills keeping things other other than yourself alive, you know? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, f for generations, I mean, we're all, I mean, yeah. our ancestors have farming, ranching yeah. was a major, you know, foundation of, of, of everything. And then, I mean, even, I mean, however many years you want to put on it, I mean, if you lived in a city, say you lived down in the San Francisco Bay Area, generally you had, with relatives or family, somebody was out either at that time, before the valley was really developed, or certainly up in the foothills, yeah. some relative who had a, a farm or a ranch, and so you would, you know, be able to go up and get right. it. It was a way of getting away right. from it. You didn't have to have a tourism infrastructure sure. to do it. Yes. But as that thing, and tourism, which is major, you know, you know, from a global point of view, and it kind of get pushed back a little bit, of course, as everything did with COVID. Yeah. But still, it was just something that's a part of us in a way that we don't sometimes remember it, you know. But right. if we all looked a little bit, it's not lifting the lid you know, uh, very high to dump, and we look at our own ancestral backgrounds, oh, yeah. it's either, well, you know, in, in our case, United States or Canada or whatever sure. it might be, it wasn't that, you know, 
you know, my grandparents were farming. Uh, my grandfather up in Alberta, in Canada, was right. like, and so right. here, it was. Well, was this in California? Well, that's what I think is neat about the Cout story as well, is because you see, you know, you see the the showcase that is Ironstone Vineyards, but you don't realize this is still a working farming family. I mean, exactly. this is still a. I mean, it's it's not just a. A Hollywood project or something to do in their retirement or something like this. I mean, this is a, it's a fundamentally, it's a farming ag business. I mean, a family still, right? Isn't yeah. that? No, exactly. The, and yeah. and I, I also to put in that the word that comes up immediately in my mind is agritourism. Right. Whereas people want these days, we've gotten so, you know, people want to, want to maybe back then, want to get off the farm, go into the cities. I mean, a part of the evolutionary. Yeah. Level, yeah. But now it's like it was. Uh, was what I was involved in was how it was flipping back, and a lot of people are just so cut off from that and right. want to do it. So I mean, right. Einstein in a way is a is a big symbol of you know agritourism, uh, because it can get people touch. Or not well, the you know the grapes can bring mm -hmm. that in, mm -hmm. but it's just this awareness of. Uh, you know this agricultural element that's yeah. uh, you know that's the foundation of all of our you know, ancestral history, as I said. Yeah. Um, now, is, is the family, uh, you know, is it transitions from away from the founders to the family? How many kids, I mean, are all the kids involved, um, still involved in the business? I mean, how's, how's the, the Couch family now? Is the, is, how's, that's, a, that's an important question, yeah. I think, because I think one of the things John and Gail were committed to, and, you know, John is like, he's a, he's, sure. he's, he's the, like yeah. a flower, yeah. and, you know, he's, so it, it's probably not easy for him on one level to step back, but they were also wise enough to think, well, we're still alive, and this has started years ago, and, and healthy, we want to be there to advise the kids and then right. and have right. give them the opportunity to find out what their particular niche is, you know, in, in the operation. And I don't think they, they didn't have it easy. I did all the kids, because no. John didn't have yeah. it easy. Right. You know, his dad died when John was like 20 years old. So, I mean, suddenly he's found himself, you know, with, with, a, with an operation that was a handful. And as I said, the school of hard knocks. So each of the, each each of the kids basically didn't just have it handed to them. Oh, they had no, to get out there and oh, get yes, really no, involved, which is what you're kind of you know oh, mentioning. Yes. So uh, so Stephen, who's the oldest of the boys, uh, became the president of Ironstone Vineyards. Kurt is the controller of the operation down in Lodi, plus that California Hotwood, I think, Got that it. you had mentioned yes. at some point. Yes. Uh, Jack, the youngest of the boys, well, he's a triathlete, but he's also involved in a little building in the whole place, and now, you know, handles kind of the real estate element of it. Right. And then Joan, who is the only girl, handles international and domestic marketing out of Lodi. So we're presently marketing in all 50 states and 50-odd countries. We have a dozen and a half different labels. But Ironstone, our key core, you know, classic yeah. uh, label, uh, label throughout Europe and Asia. Very nice. Yeah. Very cool. Um, segue back to Ironstone proper. Uh, you guys have, um, you know, we're, been through a COVID year. I bet it's been something un completely un unplanable. Yeah. Uh, but you guys have kept grinding through. And one of the things I want to say is a, is kind of as a thank you is there has been you've also hosted some graduations, some other things like that, and I think that the um, Ironstone Amphitheater venue was perfect. In fact, in fact that it was designed in terrace to be able to do for the cars and everything else. I've heard, I remember the, uh, attended the uh, Avery graduation, and it looked like 
an episode from a Walt Disney Cars movie because it was all perfectly, right. it looks like it was designed right. for it. And yeah. it was uh, actually kind of a, you know, a neat, a neat photo moment. In the middle of all the COVID stuff, you have all the cars terraced up, you know, honking on cue for somebody on stage and stuff. And I think, you know, one, I think it was a, it was wonderful that a venue like that existed because right. I think it created for kids that had a, you know, unfortunate timing of graduating or having some of those key moments during COVID, um, I think those, some of those moments we'll be able to look back and say, oh yeah, we did the, we did the drive-in, you know, <laughs> and it was, and it worked. Right. And it was, um, but um, now as things are opening back up, I mean, now it's kind of go for concerts and everything else, huh? Yeah, and so of course last year, I mean, right pre-COVID, we had nine major concerts. Yeah. And uh, of course, no big concerts, no big weddings, yep. no big anything, but it's yep. across the board for everybody. And then, then it became everybody had to kind of close, be kind of close down. But it really, because it's a farming base, I think uh, people weren't drinking less wine. They were drinking maybe more. <laughs> but they were, you know, coming was a curbside pickup, sure. like wine club and everything, or people were just, you know, going direct mail to be able to get it. And then as the rules started to open up a little bit. Of course, we were under regulations of San Joaquin County, but we've got a lot of open space there, but still we then wound up, uh, when, we, when we, you know, again, whatever the rules are, really adapt accordingly to them. But then we could start setting up uh, tasting bars, socially distanced outside, and then also creating like a bistro outside Right. of the, uh, you know, of the music, uh, culinary music have, area. You know, from an operational perspective, have there been any positives that you guys have learned? You know, you know, th you've had to learn new ways of doing things, but you found out that, okay, we, there's some efficiencies, you know, some of the things that you may keep in place going forward, some things you may have learned during the COVID era that, that work or... <laughs> Well, that's a that's a deep question in a way. <laughs> I mean, that you know, you you do learn. I think right. from everything. Yeah. If you're and you know, if you if you have the right well, attitude, spirit, too. right, or you can choose not yeah. to. I mean, right. and then, but I think it is that that sense of adaptation. Well, uh, I mean, one thing that that struck me at first when because nobody really knew what was happening. Oh, yeah. As long as it could be a few yeah. months or anything, we no no one really knew there was yeah. all kinds of contradictory. And now it's a year later, right? Information. Yeah. But when I started hearing, I used to think of when I'd hear about virtual reality, I'm saying, well, I, I'd prefer to get involved in reality, you know, primarily. That's yes. like my background with international travel, just yeah. out in the midst of it. But what was interesting when I first, like a meeting, I started hearing of Zoom, and I'm going, oh, come on, how are you going to do this? You know? <laughs> and and then, but now then, out of necessity, Right. It's suddenly you adapt to that, and to the point is now that even after with this opening, I'm noticing groups and organizations are still using that as a medium in order to be so that people, instead of having to drive 45 right. minutes to an hour for a meeting or something, right. if they have an option, they go on to Zoom or yep. do a combination of live and Zoom. So it's like there's elements of that that are going to be adapted in various ways. Yeah. And, ju and just out of it, a deep appreciation, which we might take for, uh, for granted, of just human communication with each other mm -hmm. and be able to see someone's whole face. Right. And again, everything is subject to change. But I think that level of when, when people come out there, of course, that's, that's or, yeah. or anywhere. In the, and I don't just say yeah. Ironstone because uh, 
to me, what really makes it, you know, in Calaveras County, I mean, we're talking about the wine industry is all the different wineries yeah. uh, that, have, that have started. Yeah. I mean, during the gold rush period, you had 100 wineries in Calaveras County. It was among the top four wine grape growing regions of the state at that time, along with Napa, Sonoma, considered number one, El Dorado County, Los Angeles County. Well, what happens? History, politics, a couple of world wars, prohibition shifted and changed everything. Mm -hmm. So in the early 1980s, we just had two wineries in the county. Right. We now have over 35 wineries in the Calabrese Wine Grape Alliance, Amada County north of here, you know, Shenandoah Valley, some 30-odd wineries yep. there, El Dorado north of that, yep. some 60-odd wineries there. So when I look at it, think about it, it's always as a region. Oh, yeah. And what's happening regionally yeah. makes me think metaphorically of what took place in Napa Sonoma in the 1960s, 1970s. No one up here has any desire to become Napa Sonoma. It's right. its own unique entity. But I think the, the way I read it is the major engines running tourism in the state who would have looked at areas like this a couple dozen years ago and referred to them as rural, and now in their big travel conferences, pulling them center stage, talking about them as beyond the gateways. Right. They began to realize for many, many, many people without giving up the great, iconic tourist destinations of Hollywood, Disneyland, Universal Studios, sure. San Diego Zoo, Monterey, Carmel, San Francisco, etc. There's this continuously growing wave of interest in these outlying areas. So for us, our identity is more like North uh, Sacramento, South of Mariposa, encompassing Yosemite, this motherload region. Yeah. There was a catalyst to the more, you know, more recent history of the state. So I think it's also that working together, you know, as a region and as, a, as an area. I mean, when I started to work for Einstein, I'd say, well, how do I represent Einstein without representing the town of Murphy's? Right. Then how do I represent Murphy's without representing the county? And then, well, how do I represent the county without the region? Yes. And it just naturally kind of links together depending on where you find yourself. Uh, the platform um, of communication is... Uh, one of the things I think needs to be said, and I've talked this from several other... Um, winemakers, you know, um, in the area is they have a deep appreciation for what Ironstone did because Ironstone in some ways with the investment and paving the way for the venue and everything else, it really opened the doors to help make their businesses possible. Right. And I think it is, you know, lots of times, sometimes that goes under the radar, you know, as far as, you know, but I think it needs to be said is, you know, the, the halo effect of what Ironstone has done and the investment that they've made is it's really had a big effect on um, allowing a lot of the other smaller boutique wineries and all the rest of the stuff to flourish. Right. You know, because it, it, it's created a, a, you know, it's allowed the ecosystem to flourish because, you know, you guys were willing to do some of the big, heavy, upfront investments to, to put it on the map. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think sometimes that goes underappreciated. Yeah, and I think people, I've heard, you know, John say or Stephen, you know, when, they started, they started breaking ground there, and people like, you know, major players here were like, what are you doing? What are you building? You know, like, are you kidding me? How are you going to have, how are that people like that going to come here? But John already, right. through all these other things, I mean, more he's a specialist, he's a generalist, yeah. has been setting the stage. So he's got the sense of interconnectivity through the whole, you know, statewide, or especially right. in the Central right. Valley. Sacramento farming district. So he's got connections with people that he's been working with. He's already, you know, he's not like starting just stone cold. Right. But he's got this vision, you know, to uh, that he sees this this potential, incredible potential for 
not just as a wine grape region, but as a you know, as a, through this influence of tourism. Oh yeah. But again, John has that ability. I mean, well, this I mean, this incident came up to me. Sometime back, I remember there was this uh, uh, graduate school in architecture, and one of the representatives kind of randomly approached me to see if they, they were taking like students in this graduate school to various uh, various sites around beyond like Calaveras County to give them an idea of all the. Differential, differentiating ways of creating right. systems of architectural structures. And then uh, I said, yeah, it, it, we'd love to bring them here. And I said, oh, that's cool. I'll set up something. Sure. I think I brought with Larry yeah. Ringland and I think Don Bose, maybe, the uh, landscape architects that John worked with who had his office in Murphy's. And the guy said, Do you, uh, can we look into the architectural plans? <laughs> I said, no, there aren't any there architectural aren't any. plans. <laughs> John is the architectural plan. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. just get ins inspired. He can yeah. we with Don Bose, you know, just having a glass of wine or something yeah. at Murphy's Hotel, and then John would get an idea. He'd literally be, you know, grab a piece of paper or a napkin, jot it down, and why don't we try this? And it go right. back and forth. Right. And if something didn't work, I mean, and John, in a sense of intuition, he would just like just break it all down. Let's start all over again. You know. Yeah. So he had a sense. And I think he also had a really good sense of, you know, connecting and bringing in people with specific skill levels in the, in the various areas you know, as well. A little bit on the amphitheater is, isn't it usually, it's always ranked in one of the best amphitheaters in the nation, right? Isn't yeah. it, is, doesn't it always rank really well? It does. Yeah. And I think it, that had been developing over the years. And so yeah. the first concert area uh, they had at Ironstone was down at the, the lake. We have this man-made lake, 14 acres of gardens. And it was uh, Sunday afternoons in the park, local bands, bands from the valley. Mm -hmm. So people would come in, stop up at the taste room, get a bottle of wine, a picnic lunch, come down with blankets, garden chairs, sit throughout the area. It was a pleasant way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Right. But then they started working on the amphitheater, and then uh, and so every, all the focus at that time had to go on developing the amphitheater. And so like a thousand people was a big deal at one point, right. you know, so we could right. do everything ourselves. Yeah. And then, but as it got bigger and bigger and bigger, when you get up to like 7,000 people for a concert, uh, so the changes that have gone on with that, and it was, it was a labor of love in that sense, you know, wanting to, you weren't making a big profit on those early right. oh, concerts, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, there was a vision again. Yes. And there was a vision of the possibility of what that is. Yeah. And I think that vision is what always, you know, would bring it. And I think John has had a way of adapting, and he goes Gail too, she's pretty adaptable being in relationship with him. Yeah. Uh, they had a way of being able to shapeshift you know, to it, if it wasn't working or following what does work. So what they probably thought was going to be the vision of what they were doing and what ultimately wound Ended up being yes. it. And of yes. course, everybody, especially in those early days and, and today in a different way, everybody would just jump in and do whatever needed to be done. I mean, you might have had a job description, but I, even before I was there, just it was just whatever yeah, it was. Everybody yeah, kind of kicked, kicked in and yeah. it was a, a sense of, I mean, it was challenging and it was hard work, but it was also that excitement of collectively working together for something larger, you know, happening and, and the mystery of it all. But in a way, that was also, I think, in a, in a different scale with the, you know, the community of the Wine Grape, you know, Alliance community, the early stages that people, it was more than just producing wine. It was like right. families coming together. Right and that sense of development and the lifestyle. Yes. And so there was a lot of help that everybody gave to each other. 
And I, and I think that's what, when, you know, when we moved up, when my, my wife and I and with three kids moved up from San Francisco in the early 80s, 80, 81, it was that spirit in the, in the, in the county that really yeah. ignited us. It was people yeah. that came in, wanted to create a, a different lifestyle, bringing all kinds of mm -hmm. different levels of talent. But on, on the scale, you know, at, at Einstein and Murphy's, yeah. it, was, it, it was that. And I think John had a big vision of that, that possibility, but you had all these other, you know, visionaries that were working together to make it happen. So I think they, you know, was that honoring on both sides. And that's what makes, I think, makes the county interesting. Is it is. Got, still yeah. And one of the things I think is a compliment to, um, to Ironstone and what they've built is that, you know, lots of times, you, you know, all the, the vin, you know, the, the talent that comes through the bands and that, you know, the, the celebrities that come through in the band, it's interesting to see is sometimes now you see that they'll make an Ironstone uh, is kind of a little pause on their tour. Like they'll, they'll spend some days, they'll actually spend some time in Murphy's. You'll see them actually right. instead of just on to the next. And I think that's a real compliment to what, the, you know, what it's become, what the area's become as well is, you know, they, it's a place that they saw this as a, a little bit of an event for them to come up and play. You know, that, so in some ways it has to be a very popular place for an act to play, you know. Well, yeah, you're right. And I, <laughs> and I think it was also like a surprise. Some of them I've heard some of the band members saying, where are we going? Where is this? <laughs> What's next on the tour? This is where? Murphy is? You'll be kidding me. Right. Then it's but, like, hey, it was like the early days when yeah. any of the musical genre was developing. That's sure. what it was. I mean, you're on the road and the bus and whatever. But I think when they get there, it's like, wow, this is something. And I think yeah. you're right. Some of them stay over and they, they, they'll come back. And, uh, and it's just, and it's a little bit different than their other, you know, venues, you know, yeah. on their, on their, yeah. on, on the road, on their road trip. So, yeah. and then also, I mean, you know, with Gail and this concourse, it'll be the 25th uh, anniversary year of yes. that. And, uh, and so we'll have a second to the one they do in Pebble Beach. Yep. Uh, a lot of people in Pebble Beach will bring their cars up here. But it's not as expensive. It's a little more casual. Yeah. And it's really such, it's such a great weekend, and it's the only time. And so they can have, probably this year it's potentially a little over 300 cars, but it could be over 400 cars wow. in some of the years past. And they're all spread throughout. That you yep. mentioned the amphitheater down yep. and around the lake. It's the only time a master gardener, master gardener Larry Ringland, is going to let any vehicles on his grass. Yes. So we've celebrated Corvette's 50th anniversary, Cadillac's 100th, Rolls Royce's 100th anniversary, Ford Thunderbird's 50th. It's an, it's an absolutely fabulous car show, and, but I'm always telling people, even if you're not into classic yes. cars, it's Come hard not it. to appreciate it from it a pure art gallery point yes. of view. It's like Storyville there because people with some of their cars, it's not just a car, it's like a story or these cars have been passed down in some of their families for oh, generations. Yeah. yeah. And they love to talk about them. And it's, so it's always like a, a surprise. So I've had people come up here and they, we've never been to a car show before. This is fabulous. Oh, it's amazing. So, yeah. I know... Um, we could go on here for a couple hours, and maybe we should at some time to really to really do it. We're down to our last couple minutes. Oh, we so, are. So yeah. <laughs> so if you're gonna tie to um, you know tie a little bow on it for right now for you know the state of Ironstone, I know we've got concerts and you know um, concourse coming up, but I mean how's um, 
Give us a little bit of synopsis. Uh, so, well, I, what I want to do is, check, I was saying on that, uh, for the concourse, I mean, the, the benefits of that go to the 4-H Club yes. Scholarships for Future Farmers America yeah. State Farming Scholarships. So John and Gil appreciative of the help they got in the early farming history. And I do want to kind of put in there Bob Anderson, who's our executive chef, has come over for us, and he had worked for years as the top chef in the Iwani in uh, down in Yosemite, also uh, uh, Greenhood Creek, uh, V's restaurant, instrumental in getting that thing going, and on and on. So what people aren't so much aware of, we have this uh, amazing bistro now at night, and so people that know Bob, I mean, kind of follow him where he is, and so we people don't tend to think of us as having like an evening restaurant or a bistro. Right. And so that was, we started that a little bit outside first, but now that we're able to come inside, so without getting, knowing the time element we're looking right. at, but I wanted to, so that's another element I think okay. is really critical. Yeah. I mean, it just people's awareness to be aware of that. So it's a, it, it kind of adds another possibility, you know, especially during the summer months, I would say, yeah. Thank you, and I think, you know, Thanks to the Couts family too for for having a vision to be able to develop something something like that in our backyard. You know, yeah. I think it's uh, you know it, it's appreciated by sometimes more people than may even may even pass that along right. because it's it's allowed other careers to flourish and you know it's even driven ancillary business and it helped help the whole area mature. Yeah. And uh, thank you and thank you for the thank you for spending some time with us, Conrad. No, thanks. Thanks it. very much. It's been fun here. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>